0: This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. This episode of All Have Another podcast, and all of the episodes in the Chicago Marathon Recap Series, are presented by Athletic Greens. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Lindsay, L I N D S E Y, for five free travel packs plus a year long supply of vitamin D. Hey, everybody, welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you are here today. I'm really excited for another post Chicago marathon interview. This time, I'm not talking to an athlete, I'm talking to a coach. Coach Chris Wehrman, who is the founder of the Run Better app. He's a Chicago Marathon broadcaster. He's also a family law attorney and the father of three. He is a 217 marathoner, has ran in a couple of Olympic marathon trials, and now he puts his passion for running into coaching and I had some great conversations with him while I was in Chicago. I got to work with him a little bit at the expo and picked his brain a little bit about my own running and we had a lot of fun and I thought, let's do this on the podcast. A big thanks to Lindsay Podolak for also connecting us and making this happen. If you are enjoying this podcast and this series, please consider leaving us a quick rating interview on itunes or spotify we do enter you in to win a pair of gooder sunglasses we announce a new winner every single month i would so so greatly appreciate it if you would consider doing that it is a huge help in helping us grow the show all right friends please enjoy my conversation with coach chris wehrman Today on I'll Have Another, we have Chris Wehrman on the show. Welcome to the show, Chris.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I'm so excited to do this because we actually got to hang out in Chicago at the Expo and get to know each other before actually recording the interview. So I said, this is going to be way better because we actually kind of know each other's personalities.
1: Yeah, we had a great time. It was not only incredible being around all those athletes at the Expo, but talking to some of the elite athletes and. Some of the real uh, important people in the sport, listening to their stories about their race preparation and the races that they've done, and being able to give advice to all the athletes that were on the Chicago Marathon was a ton of fun. And I thought you did an incredible job up uh, on the stage, and look forward to seeing you again up there.
0: Thank you. That's so nice. You're like an old timer, though. You're you're like one of the people at the Chicago Marathon just hopping up on stage, giving all the coaching advice at the expo and being at all the press conferences. And actually I saw you on one of the vehicles when I was cheering. I was like, Oh, there goes Chris,
1: you know, I've been in Chicago for a long time and uh, I don't know that I want to consider myself one of the old timers, but uh, (laughs) I've been involved in the running community here for a long time as an an athlete, as an elite athlete, as a coach, uh, on the board of Chicago Area Runners Association and now do a lot of work for uh, the marathon preceding some work with Nike when Nike had their run club and uh, really enjoy the sport and love being around athletes and it's it's been a blessing for me to be able to continue to exude my passion on all the participants and be able to just see people uh, that to me is the greatest weekend of the year.
0: I had never been to a uh, elite press conference the day before a major marathon. And so when I walked in and I saw you sitting down, I was like super relieved because I just felt a little bit out of place. Like, I've never done this before.
1: Well, you know, it's a lot of fun because you get to hear from the athletes, you know, the couple of days beforehand. And I've always uh, enjoyed it. I, you know, Not that I ask any questions, but you get to pick up some little tidbits. You get to hear some of the nerves in their voice and you know them being coy about their race plans and it, it, it's fun because you get to see a side of them that we don't usually get to see you know it's not a big room that we were in uh, and they were all very guarded and what they were saying but at the same time we get to see them uh, both with their confidence going into the race and to a certain extent was with, with their nerves and uh, it, it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun sitting with you and being able to quietly heckle them too.
0: (laughs) And you were like working though. You in your real life job outside of running, you're also an attorney. So you were like hopping on Zoom calls during this
1: Yeah, well, that's, you know, and we talked about it a little bit. It was uh, kind of a funny circumstance. And I guess, thank goodness for the pandemic is that I had a court appearance I had to make. So I was hiding in one of the utility (laughs) closets so that I could do that before getting back into the press conference, because I certainly didn't want to miss that. And, you know, very effective day. We got a lot done.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things where you really figured out during the pandemic that you can work pretty much anywhere.
1: Yeah. And it's it's funny because lawyers as a whole were not particularly progressive on moving electronically. I mean, still very paper intensive uh, job. And, um, you know, the pandemic forced us to learn how to use Zoom and to have remote court appearances and to prepare documents and review documents electronically. So it's been really good for me. In my practice, to be able to shift gears a little bit, not be in the office 60, 70 hours a week, to be able to spend time with my kids and have that flexibility and and then be able to do things like the press conference and work for the marathon as well.
0: How old are your kids?
1: I have a sixth grader and twins that are in fourth grade.
0: Okay. And you legit live in the city. You are one of the cool people that stay in the city with children.
1: We, we do. We, uh, I'm originally from Michigan, as is my wife. And we had decided that if we were going to move to the city, we were going to live in the city. We didn't move to the city to live in the suburbs and the suburbs of Chicago are great, but I really wanted to be, you know, in the action and wanted my kids to be in the action. So it's, it's a, it's a great city. I mean, there's a lot of opportunities here. And so I'm glad that we're here.
0: Has it been hard though? Like what are the hardest parts with having kids living in a big, big city like that?
1: Uh, you know i grew up uh kind of in the country so it's relatively speaking but smaller town dirt roads even though we had a lot of houses around so my parents could send me and my three younger brothers outside and tell us to come back when the sun was going mm-hmm. down and the only rule that my parents had when we were younger is that we couldn't go in the lake unless they were around but we could ride our bikes with our friends and we could go play football and basketball at our friends' houses and we wouldn't have to necessarily check in even at my kids' ages, there's certain roads I don't want them crossing. And, you know, thank goodness for things like Apple Watches where I can track their movements. But, you know, it is, a, it is a little sad that I can't let my kids completely roam free like I was able to do. But, you know, the flip side is they've got friends and neighbors all around. Our school's very close to our house. So they've got, you know, that playground. We have parks close to us and we have a lot of opportunities. So, you know, it's a balancing act with anything in life.
0: So three kids, you work full-time as an attorney. You also have the run better app. You're a coach. Um, how much of your time is spent with the coaching and run better and tell us what run better is.
1: Well, uh, you know, how much time is spent, uh, for me, I would say not enough for other people in my family, probably too much. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it is, it is, mm-hmm. it is a, a balance and I have great familial support, uh, especially to continue doing what I uh, am passionate about. Um, I've coached in Chicago in a lot of capacities and still do so with uh, an Edge Athlete Lounge. And and I spend a lot of time with athletes getting ready for the Chicago Marathon. Uh, I have done some private coaching, as I had mentioned. I had also been one of the coaches for the Nike Plus Run Club here in Chicago. But with two of my former athletes, who are now my partners, um, Kurt and Nicole Mann, I had coached both of them successfully to sub-three-hour marathons. Nicole is an attorney, and Kurt is a doctor, and both of them were trying to get that sub-three hour before they got older than they wanted to be, Uh, and we were successful in that. Um, But one of the things that Nicole in particular had recognized when she had been traveling for some of the races that we were doing for tune-ups is that we would do most of our training in Chicago along the lakefront path, which is very flat, And she would go to flat races, uh, and one in particular, she went down to Miami to run the half marathon, and she would run uh, over one of these bridges that on the course website didn't look like much of a hill, but because we had not been training on hills, was very unprepared for it. And I had had similar difficulties training for the Olympic trials in New York, uh, running some great runs along the lakefront path, but then running through Central Park was very difficult. And so we tried to come up with a way for runners to be able to practice on the hills of courses without having to travel, especially if you live in areas where you can't run hills because there are none or you have to, to um, you know, be home with kids or other things. So we developed an app that allows you to uh, run the courses on your treadmill. Okay. And it's been an effective tool to help supplement training for people to be prepared for races like New York or Boston or other races throughout the world uh, and to practice hills, but in a meaningful way. Um, And what it does is it emulates the course based on your pace. So it will tell you when to adjust your treadmill based on your speed and where you are on the course. So you're essentially running the course hills virtually on the treadmill, uh, but accurately so that you can truly prepare for them.
0: Okay, from someone who loves the treadmill, I love this idea. I'm a big, big fan of the treadmill, especially because where I live is so, so hilly, which I know is making me a stronger runner. But I got to get off the hills sometimes. Like every time I walk out my door, it's up, down, up, down, up, down. And sometimes I just want to chill, you know? Um, So I love that. You know, a long time ago, my sister won – the Boston Marathon treadmill, which is so funny and random, but, um, so she had that where it was like the Boston Marathon was programmed on that treadmill. How does the Run Better app work though? Like, do you just have it programmed on your phone and then you're like watching it as you are on the treadmill?
1: That's exactly right. Uh, you know, we are not partnered with any of the treadmill companies. So what we did is we created this app that's on iOS and on Android, and we have uh, races that we've partnered with and and some other courses on the app. And it's a simple tool. So you don't need a specific treadmill. You don't have to plug into the treadmill. You select one of the courses and then we have broken the courses down into four mile segments. So you can select a segment or multiple segments that you would like to run. You program how fast you will be running on your treadmill. And then you set your treadmill to that speed and it will tell you when to adjust your treadmill based on the speed you're running and where you are on the course and uh, I am visual in my running and so not only does it give you alerts but it shows you kind of where you are on the course um, and and kind of a zoomed in fashion so that you can uh, observe when it is that you're coming to the top of a hill or when you're going to approach a hill just like when you're running outside so that you know I mean if you're just running off a hill and you don't know when it's going to end it's a little bit harder to maintain that focus but now We have this app so that you can see when you're going to be cresting the hill. So if you're fatigued, you know, you just have to push a little bit harder or take those few deep breaths before you're going to approach a hill uh, just like you would outside. So we we really try to make it a simple tool, but an effective tool.
0: Uh, Super curious what your thoughts are on speed work on the treadmill.
1: I think, uh, well, you know, personally, I love speed work. Outdoors, even if it's windy and it's cold and it's snowy. Um, but, you know, I love training in Chicago. I think the challenge on the treadmill is just doing it in an effective way that's also safe. Um, mm. Because I have had athletes that have tried to do treadmill work, they end up either overexerting themselves a little bit because they're trying to keep up with the treadmill as opposed to maybe you know, staying within themselves or they're getting fatigued and not paying attention to, you know, where they're stepping. And, and so, you know, just trying to make sure that there is that balance of running effectively and efficiently while also running safely. So I think it certainly can be done, but you have to recognize the athletes and your abilities in terms of whether or not it's the right approach for you.
0: That's so true. There have been times where I'm like, I need to be really careful right now. Just like the, especially if you're doing like shorter in, intervals, it can feel scary. Like if my kids are playing in the garage and I'm doing like short, fast intervals, f- for, first of all, it's hilarious because if they're trying to talk to me, I'm like, what? You know, like I can't. Um, but second of all, I'm like, don't come near the treadmill, don't touch the treadmill, don't throw anything near the treadmill. Like I, this feels a little bit scary.
1: Yeah, you got to be super focused, especially as you pointed out, you know, with kids or, you know, animals or any other distractions. Uh, and and you don't have those same concerns if you're outdoors. But the flip side is for uh, a number of my athletes, you know, they the only way they can get in speed work or strength work or certain long runs is by doing it indoors and doing it on a treadmill. You know, uh, I have clients that are moms that have to do it when their kids are sleeping, but they can't leave the house maybe because they're the only one home. Or they're trying to get in at night after the kids go to bed and they want to get in effective training and can't always do it outside. And so this gives options. And I think options are always good, especially as an endurance athlete, because it's already a bit of a grind. So if you can mix it up in a way to keep it interesting, it helps us keep, you know, and stay motivated.
0: Uh, In terms of effectiveness, like I'm a big fan. I, for me, mentally, it like feels like less pressure for some reason. Um, and I do find that it still translates, like I'm still able to run in races like to the ability that it would, it would suggest, but do you feel that it's the same effectiveness? I know that you're not going to have wind and stuff like that, you know, that could happen, but I'm just curious your thoughts on that.
1: There's always going to be balance. I have had athletes that train better on the treadmill, and then that translates into running fast on the roads. I've had athletes that can run fast on the treadmill, and then they transition to the roads, and they don't run as fast. Uh, from my perspective, not only as a coach, but as an athlete and uh, as one of the founders of the Run Better app. It's not about running all of your runs on the treadmill or necessarily running all of your runs outdoors. I think the great thing about the Run Better app in particular, but even my coaching style in general, is trying to mix it up. I think it's important to be able to hit the hills and specific hills, uh, which is where the app comes in. But I think it's also important to be able to manage outdoors. I think one of the important things about running outdoors, to the extent that you can do it, is that um, you, you don't get locked into certain paces. It's, mm-hmm. it's very easy to get on the treadmill and say, okay, I need to run X pace. And you know, you're looking at the clock and you're looking at the pace and you just try to hit the mile per hour. You go outside, if you're tired, you know maybe that effort just is there, but the speed's not there. Or sometimes you're feeling really good and you're running a little bit faster and it's not as much dictated by the machine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's important to have that that balance. And then I think that balance also makes you more effective when you transition to running races and you're outside because you're not running races on the treadmill. And if you run all your training in one environment, it's hard oftentimes to transition. So doing both can be very effective.
0: Um, All right. So I'm going to be a little bit selfish here and pick your brain a little bit because I had fun talking to you about my own running You had kind of mentioned how you like to prescribe long runs and stuff like that when we were talking in that conversation. Um, So here's, here's a personal question I'll ask. I'm running New York and I ran my last 20 miler last weekend. First question. I've noticed a trend in coaches and athletes doing their last 20 miler two weeks before rather than three weeks before. Where do you fall in that category and does it just, do you just depends on the athlete?
1: Uh, It does depend on the athlete, but I would say 90 plus percent of the time I have my athletes running their last 20 mile or three weeks out. Okay. Um, That's what I do too. and, And I think that, uh, it's important for a couple of reasons. For starters, you know, 20 miles is not necessarily a magic number physically. I mean, most of my athletes at that point of time have already run at least for, if not five or six, 17 to 20 milers. So mm-hmm. it's the accumulation of the miles that helps them get ready. Plus, during that time frame, we're increasing their base run distance overall. We're increasing their volume, their longer tempo runs, etc. So it's it's not like you need this 20 miler. Um, but there is something to be said mentally about having 20 miles, getting into that next, you know, set of numbers with a two in front of it before you get to the to the marathon distance. But I also think it's important because I like to have my athletes, if possible, run that 20 miler and then run a a long tempo run or a half marathon at around the same time. Because I feel like if you run a half marathon, let's say you run your 20 mile on Saturday and you try to run your half marathon on Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday, and you run the half marathon well, and that should give you confidence going into the marathon, knowing that as you taper over the next two and a half or three weeks, that you're in a good position because you came off of a high volume of training and you were tired and you still ran well. Conversely, if you don't run well, it doesn't necessarily matter because you're coming off of high volume in a long run where maybe you're just fatigued. So you don't really have a lot to lose. And I think either way, it sets you up for success because you're either confident going into the race or um, you know that you've, you have the ability to run and with rest that you will be ready to run fast. So I think that's important. The other piece is I think a three-week taper is important because the first week of the three-week taper, you're not really Rested, You're really just starting to recover. So then you only really have like a two week taper where you're trying to balance being fresh, but also staying sharp. And it usually takes seven to 10 days after that 20 mile or three weeks out before you're starting to feel good and you're starting to feel strong. Uh, And I don't have a huge drop off in mileage for my athletes after that 20 mile or it's a bit more progressive. Um, You know, it's a little bit slower of a drop off so that they are still staying active. Because after training for 18 weeks, you don't want to just basically stop training for the last 10 days or two weeks uh, because that's not what your body's been used to after this huge buildup.
0: So you're saying do your 20 and like the next day do a half marathon?
1: I've had athletes do that.
0: And race the half marathon? So you're running your 20 easy and then racing?
1: Yes. And that's a very good point is that uh, I don't have – look, there's a lot of different training programs and a lot of different philosophies, you know, and not one is right for everybody. And people have to find the type of coach that they like and the type of training program that works for them. I am a big believer in the long runs not being overly hard Mm -hmm. because I am a big believer in needing the time on your feet – And that accumulation of volume will build strength. But I don't want the long run to adversely affect the other workouts in the week. I don't want one of my athletes to run an 18-mile or so hard that they then can't run an eight-mile tempo run three days later because then we're missing the opportunity to continue to build. And so if they run these long runs at a moderate pace, You know, for weeks in a row, then even if they're fatigued from the mileage, they're not broken down to be able to be unable to run a half marathon immediately following. So that's why I think uh, it's possible, and I prefer them to run that half marathon immediately following that long run. and, And we're not worried at that point about injuries or other things because it's not that hard of a 20 miler.
0: Um, okay. I find that so interesting too, because you also had mentioned when we were talking, you don't do a ton of marathon pace miles and long runs.
1: That's correct. Uh, again, going back to that idea of doing those runs and then breaking down and having it impact your ability to train over the course of the week, I think is detrimental to the overall training plan. I'd rather get the miles in and the hard runs in on hard run days. And then that volume with the hard runs will give you the opportunity to run a successful marathon with the full 18 weeks of training
0: that's so interesting when I was talking to um, Stacy Sims about training as you age and especially I'm talking I was specifically talking about females when they hit perimenopause menopause she had a lot to say about like running super slow long like probably way slower than you're even saying and then the next day doing like shorter powerful stuff and that's how as you age you get, Faster. I just feel like there's so many theories and and ways to do it and you have to look at each athlete so individually like because some people are just some people might need that mental I have to do marathon pace in some of my long runs or else I won't be able to like think I can do it during the race and some people need more work on that faster speed stuff so do you just kind of have to like figure it out season after season with the different athletes.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And in in fact, I think it was Wesley Career who you were talking to at the Chicago Marathon Expo. We were talking about Kipchoge and how slow his recovery runs were, you know, way slower than most people that we know. And um, that's effective for him. But I don't think it would be effective for many other people. It certainly wasn't effective for me when I was, you know, and I was a a good marathoner, not a great marathoner, but I was a... 217 guy so I'd be running 518 to 520 pace and my long runs and my base runs would be around six minute pace and if I ran much slower than say 610 pace I didn't feel good in my recovery but Mm -hmm. I was able to recover at six minute pace for my runs obviously I don't run that fast anymore in fact it's a that'd be a really good tempo run for me nowadays but back in the day that was what was effective for me. But I didn't figure that out in day one. I mean, I had, uh, I ran in high school, I ran in college, I ran while I was in law school with my college coach, and it was a lot of trial and error to see what was really effective for me in my training. And one of the things that I caution athletes about is it's not just one 18-week season in the marathon or half marathon or whatever you're training for. And if it goes well, then you've got the right plan. And if it doesn't go well, you have the wrong plan. I mean, it takes time. It can take potentially years, and Uh, If you're working with a coach that you trust, then you make tweaks over the course of the different seasons, you know, if you you maybe train long in the summer, and then you work more on speed in the winter, and then you have a combination of the things that worked well and didn't work well with each successive season, and hopefully that accumulation of miles and finding the right plan uh, will help you achieve your goals. For some people, it's worth running six or seven days a week. sometimes it's running two days a week multiple times a day. Some of my athletes only run four days a week, you know so it it just takes time to figure out what's best for
0: each athlete totally. I find myself feeling best running five days a week, but i I sure do get a little itchy on one of those two rest days, like need something to do here, you know, but I feel that my body really needs those those two days I think
1: the two things that are important is one is. Uh, generally speaking, having your rest days built into your plan, um, I don't like the idea and, and I fall into it and we all do. Sometimes things happen, but just saying to yourself, well, I just don't feel like it today. Mm-hmm. You know, I think in order to, if you have these goals and you want to progress, you have to build in the, the off days, but you have to build them in, in a way that's meaningful so that you're not just skipping these. Because I, I can certainly attest, I have this problem. You miss a day, you're like, oh, uh, the the sky didn't fall. Mm -hmm. So if I miss another day, the sky won't fall. And then you can easily get into that pattern. Conversely, if you get up and you say it's cold, it's dark, it's raining, I don't really want to run, but you go out and do it, then it's a lot easier to continue to do that the next day and the next day. So you really want to build that consistency. So building in the off days and having those be your off days, I think is the best plan. And, you know, being itchy is okay, right? It gets you motivated to get back out there maybe a a little bit of cross training could be good but for some athletes they just need the true rest day and that's
0: okay too all right friends i want to thank athletic greens for supporting this series they are a big reason why this series was even possible and i gotta tell you i was a late adapter to athletic greens i've been hearing about them forever i started taking ag1 which is their main product six months ago and I am fully all in. I normally would drink like eight or 10 ounces of water before my coffee anyway because I know I need to rehydrate in the morning. So now I just drink that water with Athletic Greens and I love knowing that I'm getting key nutrients for my day with that water. And it's crazy how the way you start your day trickles into the rest of your day. The truth is I eat a balanced diet most days, at least I try, but there's insurance in the AG1 in my system. I know I'm getting these 75 high quality whole food source ingredients carefully curated to nourish my body's systems, and it's great for gut health. And the last thing I'll say is I have noticed a huge energy increase, and I'm drinking less coffee than ever before. Now, I love coffee. I'm still going to have a hot beverage, but I'm drinking less of it. So sometimes I'll replace that with decaf tea in the afternoon. I'm just feeling like I'm not craving the caffeine like I used to. The good news is you all can get five free travel packs plus a year-long supply of vitamin D when you go to athleticgreens.com slash Lindsay, L-A-N-D-S-E-Y. Check it out and let me know what you think. All right, back to the show. So when we had talked about my little 5K I did, and I told you, I was like, I think I train at like, what did I say, 65 or 70% or something like that. And my husband always says this too. He's like, stop talking about it or like go all in. Like just commit. Because I just like, I like to work hard, but I don't like to work too hard. (laughs) But then I do something like I hadn't raced a 5K in a long time. And I was like, oh, I haven't really practiced this. And like, if I actually worked at it, I think I could run it so much faster how do we like get to a place where we want to go all in? Because I also think a lot of people do probably train at this like 65, 70%. And maybe they think they're training at 90, but there's actually a lot more in there.
1: Well, maybe the 65 to 70% is the maximum they can do while staying healthy and enjoying the sport. You mm-hmm. know, it's so much of it is about balance here. Right? You and I talked and I thought that based on the limited information you provided to me on your training, that you might be able to do a little bit more to be a little bit more effective and to be a little bit more prepared for uh, New York or for your other goals as well. Um, but for some people, if they get to that 90%, then they just burned out or they get hurt. And so it's really trying to figure out what works best for them, how much time they have with their job and family commitments look like. But at the end of the day, and, and the reason why I think I've always been successful and why I'm still in, involved in you know the marathon and, and being on your show, thank you very much, is I love the sport. And I love the sport because uh, I was never put in a position where I was fully burnt out. I could be burnt out maybe at the end of the season and needed just a short mental break, but my love of the sport has never waned. And so you know, that's, that's important. So 65 to 75%, if it keeps you running for 10 years, is better than a hundred percent. And then you hate it after one year. Um, but talking to a coach and evaluating what you've done and what your goals are and how you achieve them, you know, all of those ingredients together come into play as to how much more training you should do. And then what type of training you should do.
0: Okay. Athlete question. I have a hard time and athlete listening. And I know you're going to know I'm talking about you (laughs) athlete that I coach. Um, when athletes are sick and they don't want to take the time off to get better, isn't that so hard as a coach? Because you don't truly know how they feel like you're not inside their bodies. So you can't truly know, like is he or she really worn out totally or, or are they more worn out than they're leaning on and they don't want to skip their run? How do you handle that communication wise? It can be really tricky.
1: It absolutely can be tricky, but once I develop a relationship with an athlete, I can usually tell if they're using being sick as an excuse or if being sick is something that I need to pull them kind of off the ledge because some of my athletes will will run through yes all kinds of weather and all kinds of ailments. Um and and being sick, you know, that that's a tough one because uh, sometimes you, you wake up, you don't feel well, you run and you feel better, yeah, right? Totally. So certainly that's possible. Alternatively, you could wake up and your body's beat up and you go out and you can't barely finish your run. And so trying to balance that is difficult. But the same thing is difficult with, uh, with injuries. I mean, I tell my athletes usually to at be beginning of the season, if you are an endurance athlete, if you're really any type of athlete, you are going to hurt. But is the hurt pain from training or is it pain from injury? Mm-hmm. And you're going to have that hurt and, and discomfort and pain and soreness from training. And that's just part of the process. If you expect to feel good every single day, then you're going to be sorely, so to speak, uh, disappointed. I mean, you're going to have that fatigue. We just don't want to cross into the injury realm. And, and so balancing that is always very difficult. But open communication with your coach is key because, you know, that, that's as a coach, that's part of my job to try to help balance that and the more information that I have the easier it is for me to determine whether or not you're making an excuse or if you need to push through and conversely for the athlete it's easier than to listen to the coach's advice I find.
0: I find more often than not the athlete wants to push through like they don't want to take the time off because they want to get their runs and they want to follow the schedule which is why they hired the coach because they want to have a schedule to follow right?
1: That That's true. It's so hard. Um, and, and they want to but as the coach, I can then make a, appropriate adjustments yeah. so that if they feel that they're missing, you know, a key run, then we can find a way to get it in at a later point in time, or we can mimic it, or we can modify the workout so that the workout is effective. I, I had an athlete this year we were training, and it was hot, and we really struggled, and some of the repeats, uh, you know, he wasn't sure if he should just bag it, you know, bag the whole season because the, the training just wasn't going as well as he would like. So we came up with an effective way to change the way that the workouts were run so that he wasn't going to the well at the mm. end of every workout. And we would finish a little bit stronger and then we would cut them down a little bit. And, and the same thing happens with injuries or coming back from injury or illness is being open. You can modify those workouts so that if you're an athlete that just says, I'm, I'm going to run no matter what, well, the coach can still help you have an effective run that doesn't break you down more because at the end of the day, we don't want you to lose other training time. And so you know, being open is very important to be able to figure out the best balance to get those runs in, but to not overdo it.
0: Yeah, I always try to say like, hey, look, you're training for like 12 to 16 weeks for a reason. Like, I don't know anybody who's not had to take a day or two or a week or a long run off in that block. Like something is probably going to come up, which is why you have that length of time. One of the reasons why.
1: That's true, and that's why, You know, from my perspective as a coach, I can't give and I don't give my athletes in 12, 16, 18 week program and say, here it is. Right. Every single week I give my athletes the workouts for the upcoming week uh, because I need to see what they did the preceding week. And I need to see I mean, sometimes, you know, you can have five or six great weeks of training and then you're just fatigued. And you might need to take a couple of days off, or you might need to reduce that workout, or maybe it's weather, or maybe it's family, or maybe it's job. And, and, you know, you don't want that one week or a couple of weeks to be detrimental to the overall training plan. But it's very important, from my perspective, to make those adjustments in season. And that's why those overall pro- programs don't work. I mean, look, if, if someone's going to hire me as a coach... They want me to coach them regularly, you know, not just give them a plan. And that communication, though, is, is the most important piece. And so I ask my athletes you know, how they felt, what were their paces, what, you know, what kind of what some of their sleeping or is there anything else going on in their life so that we can make those adjustments. Um, I'm big on, on pace-based training and mileage-based training. So if I say I want you to run five miles from seven-minute to 7.10 pace, and you can't hit it, then let's find out why. Is it because the weather was bad? Well, then let's try it again. Is it because it was just too fast? Then let's try something else. Um, but that communication is always going to be key. All
0: right. So a lot of people listening right now are heading into their New York City Marathon or Indy Monumental, or they just ran Chicago or a, a whole array of different fall marathons. Um, what is your advice to someone going into their marathon
1: for these last you know couple of weeks the biggest mistake that i find athletes who are either uncoached or or just generally following plans make is that they have this desire to feel so fresh that they don't do much work or much activity over the last seven to ten days and then they end up being very flat as i had mentioned before i mean most Marathon training programs are 18 weeks long. So, when you get into that last week before the marathon, you've done 17 weeks of training, and many people are uh, not either not fit or not particularly fit at the beginning of it. So, you know, some 17 weeks ago, they're just starting to train, and so the efforts were difficult. And as they became more efficient, as they became stronger, the the Runs got longer or they got faster and so they were still fatigued, but with a, a different type of fatigue because they were stronger um, and, and they're pushing their bodies for 17 weeks. And so that last week, I think it's very important to still maintain a, a level of activity. And I still have all of my athletes running at least two workouts the week leading up to the marathon. not long and not particularly hard. I give me an example. Like I, I'll have many of my athletes run a three or four mile uh, temple run, which will be usually a little bit faster than marathon pace, um, usually on the Tuesday before the marathon. If the and marathon's then on, the th- on Sunday. Yep. And then on the Thursday, I'll often have them do a far flick maybe three miles of total volume of fartlek, plus to warm up and cool down, where uh, maybe they're only running 30 seconds or a minute hard at 5K effort. I'm not worried about pace.
0: Yeah, that's not even uh, super hard if you're talking one minute.
1: Right, you know, but but at least it's getting their heart rate up. It's forcing them to uh, lift their knees and their arms. Because, I look, as an athlete and as a marathoner, I can remember that last week. I mean, most of my runs were hard to do. I was getting nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, I was shuffling a lot more. I really wanted to conserve my energy. But that's not what our bodies are used to. And going into a marathon flat is not fun, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we're used to doing those long runs fatigued. So I don't want my athletes to be fatigued, but I want them to be sharp. And so getting in those two workouts uh, are important. And then the last couple of days after their two or three mile easy runs, I still have them do some strides on that Friday and Saturday, again, just to keep their bodies moving a little bit. Um, And it it prevents them from getting too stagnant.
0: Yeah. Um, When we were talking about the training cycle and you were saying how you update your athletes week by week, that's one of the things about training plans is like if you're going to purchase a training plan or follow a training plan you got from somewhere, you have to have the maturity to listen to your body. And if your training plan has you running 18 miles one weekend, but you need that to be a recovery weekend, you have to do that. And I do think that's why people hire coaches a lot because they don't know that they can trust themselves to do that. But there's a little bit of um, risk in saying, and a lot of runners are type A and they want to follow the plan to a T and all the things, you know.
1: And that's what's tough about those plans is that, and, you know, I I understand that people don't want to always invest in a coach and maybe it's because they don't have the history of running or maybe the history of having a coach in athletics, generally speaking. Uh, And I don't, I'm not minimizing those plans. I think those plans are are great for a lot of people that just need to have some guidance because they might not have any other guidance anyways. And to have that guidance will be helpful because at the end of the day, and, and I think Wesley said it and, Dina Castor, who you were talking to, at the Chicago Marathon said it and, and Abi, Abiraha may have said it too, but you know, the, the general theme was this joy of running mm. and, and having a successful run and wanting to do it again. And so certainly having a plan is much better than not having a plan, because if you don't have a plan and you run the marathon or even a half marathon and you're miserable the whole time, then you're not gonna want to do it again. And and hopefully you'll come out of it wanting to try it again. And and even if not, having had a positive experience. Um, So the plans are great to get people there uh, effectively, but if you really want to perform at a high level, and I don't necessarily mean being an elite athlete or being a Boston qualifier, but if you want to just maximize your potential, having that coach to be able to bounce ideas off of um, is just more effective than having a piece of paper that just tells you what a general plan is. Uh, But even that general plan is much better than winging it and not knowing what you're doing.
0: You had mentioned the two people that work with you, um, breaking three hours and and that being a big goal. What were like big changes you made in their training as they like chipped their way to getting to that? I think there's probably a lot of listeners, including myself that would eventually love to do that someday. Um, and a lot of us do look at the clock and see that time is ticking Um, what were, what were big changes or big things that you thought were key to them hitting those goals?
1: The two biggest changes from my perspective, and and this comes from my experience. And, um, as I said, I I ran, uh, in college and I ran for the Hansons at the beginning of their program for a while. And I had to fortunately or unfortunately coach myself and train uh, a lot of miles by myself in Chicago when I, when I moved here and started working full time and it's hard Uh, I was a steeplechaser. I was really hoping to uh, continue running on the track, but when you start working full-time and you have these long days, it's hard to get in that type of intensity. So what I found was very helpful for me and for my athletes is really working on those long-effort tempo type of runs. And a lot of people will run tempo runs or strength runs for three or four miles, but really trying to get those up to eight or nine miles has been key. And then that, that in combination of lots of long runs, you know, um, people are afraid of long runs and long runs can be very difficult. They take time, mm-hmm. they take energy. Uh, you know, you're, you should do more on the weekends, which means you're giving up sleep or a certain time with your family. But if you are able to do a lot of them, which is why I said earlier, I like to have my athletes run at least 517 plus long runs, if we can get there, uh, is that it just gives you the strength and the confidence going into the marathon that you can do the the distance. And then those longer tempo runs help build the efficiency that allow you to hold that pace for a long period of time, even though you're running marathons slower than you're running your tempo runs. And I have seen that with a lot of the athletes that I have coached. And and the more athletes I get to that 8 to 10-mile tempo run effort, while also having those long runs uh, that I have, the the more of them are running faster runs because they haven't done that in the past. So it, it takes time, but it's been a huge benefit to them.
0: And when you, I know people kind of describe tempo runs differently sometimes, but like for you, you're calling tempo pace and correct me if I'm wrong, somewhere between half marathon and marathon pace.
1: That is, that is correct. Okay. Uh, it, usually around half marathon. And that's, and that is a very fair point.
0: Cause half marathon pace is freaking fast.
1: It, it is. And so, you know, I want to, what I try to do is I find the pace and, and I don't dive into marathon pace versus half marathon pace specifically because I get to know my athletes and I know what kinds of paces, but the effort that I want is at, at the, the first half, they are comfortably uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, they're like, not I'm sure that they can this. do. Uh, I'm working, but I'm not really going to the well, you know, but you get to those last couple of miles and you're really starting to second guess whether you can do it or whether mm-hmm. you want to do it. And you really <laughs> have to push um, while well, either. And I have two different types, either where it's a steady state where they're staying within a specific um pace within a 10 or 15 second window or where it's a consistent progressive run Mm -hmm. and those progressive runs they'll end up redlining a bit at the more at the end and going more anaerobic Um, but i want it to be an effort because i think it's it's very important for athletes to push their limits but to do it intelligently so that they don't get hurt Um, because that's what allows you as an athlete to become more confident in your ability And to push through the adversity in a race like a half marathon or marathon where there is going to be adversity. So we try to uh, have a plan that puts them in a position where they have challenges and they can break through those challenges so that when they get to the race, they know they can do it there too.
0: Yeah. And as you're explaining that, I'm thinking through training and I'm thinking, okay, if you're getting up to eight to 10 miles faster than marathon pace at your tempo runs, I can see why the marathon pace miles in several long runs is not nearly as important.
1: It's that balance.
0: Cause eight to 10 miles is a huge chunk of the marathon.
1: Huge, huge chunk. And so if you know that you can run 10 miles at, you know, let's say you're a seven minute per mile marathoner and you can run 10 miles at six twenty pace, you know, you go and you run seven minute pace and you are, and you've, You've got your long runs at 720 or 730 pace, and you start the race and you're tapered and you're with all these people and you're excited, you have your racing flats on, uh, then you're just cruising because you're totally ready to go. And then you really only have to dig deep, similar to the way that mentally you have to push yourself at the end of a temple run. For me, the last eight miles or so of the marathon. I mean, that's the goal. I mean, you never know what's going to happen on marathon day, but. We want to have you running as easy and relaxed and efficient as possible for as long as possible and then have the mental fortitude to push through the challenging times when they get there.
0: Okay. Last selfish question. And then we got to wrap up within the podcast. I have a really hard time wanting to get motivated for tempos now that I've moved here to Raleigh because, because of those hills I mentioned. And my husband's always like, Lindsay, doesn't matter what pace you run. Just run that effort up and down the hills and you are going to be so much stronger the same effort you're running on the flat but when I lived in Indianapolis I could rip out a tempo run and I was a little bit more fit then but I'd be doing like 650s no problem and but it was totally flat and and now that translates to like 730 or you know something super drastic and it just doesn't feel as like I'm getting after it as much even though I know I am because I've like Kind of laser focused on on that time a little bit, but how much does it matter that like I would be doing those on rolling and some my pace will will change so significantly like one mile will be like seven fifty one mile will be like seven twenty because those that one mile was like so uphill, you know,
1: and my athletes are you know, especially the ones in Chicago are, are training on the lakefront pass. So it's all flat. So it's a bit easier to dictate specific miles. Yes. I, like, I can't dictate flat, the pace but, at all. But you are right. One of the challenges, you know, back in my day, we had um, Timex Ironman watches with, you know, the lap counter and the splits <laughs> and, you know, I would estimate based on my runs where my mile markers were and I would use you know This tree is mile one every single time I would run, and it might have been mile one or it might not have been a mile, and I'd be able to compare my paces that way. And now everybody has their mm-hmm. GPS watches and their heart rate monitors and all this various data, and we do get caught up in the data, I think, uh, too much. And yeah. At the end of the day, if you're out running kills and you are running hard, then the time doesn't matter as much because it's going to translate. If it didn't translate, then we wouldn't see some of these great elite athletes training at altitude. You know, I mean, they're training at altitude, which means they're necessarily running slower than what their race pace is going to be. Uh, but they're putting in the effort. And then when they come down to sea level and they run these races, they run very fast. So uh, it it is hard. I mean, I, every day I look at my runs and my paces and I compare it to what my pace was last year. And I mean, I'm not even training for anything, but we get caught up in that data. And at the end of the day, you know, going out and training f- efficiently and putting in the effort is what's going to make dividends and not hitting specific paces just because you're running on hills versus running flat.
0: Effort, effort, effort. Um, Chris, you are, like you ran in the 2004 and the 2008 marathon trials, 217 marathoner. I was thinking about that with Emily Sisson. She's she's about to get your time.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's. Uh, I joke with some of the people that I run with. My my brothers here in the city, and one of his college roommates. They both ran uh, in college at Eastern Michigan, and um, I I tried not to think too much about what it was like back then, but I do sometimes wonder if. I had, you know, some of the shoes that they have now, what type of runner I would have been, or if I had opted not to work and train instead of starting my law practice. Mm. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, I, I know I did the best that I could under the circumstances then, and times are meant to be broken, and footwear and other devices are meant to be improved, and, you know, it's very exciting to watch American records happening and world records happening. We almost saw a world record here in Chicago and Togi just ran another world record and uh, and not just on the roads, but on the track. And and it's a lot of fun. And, you know, uh, I didn't train and race now uh, under these circumstances, but I did then I had a lot of fun doing it then. And I had some great times and learned a lot about myself. And so, you know what, if everyone's going to run faster than me, then, God bless them and good luck. And that's okay. It's, uh, I just want the sports continue to grow and people to be passionate about it. And that's the most important thing.
0: I think that's one of the hardest things is, is when you hang up when, you know, you were racing and whatnot, like looking back and reconciling, like, could I have done more? And you hear a story like Kira D'Amato and you're like, wait, she, what if she wouldn't have came back and things like that? But like you said, at the end of the day, like you have to make peace with where it was and where it ended and what you're doing now.
1: Yes, and and it was hard and it is hard. I mean, I still think daily about oh. what I used to be able to do. Yeah. But as I said earlier, at the same time, I'm still out there. I'm still enjoying it. I'm still training with people. I'm still coaching people. I'm still talking to people about running. And so it's been uh, an okay transition. I, I, I absolutely miss racing and competing. But at the same time, I've been able to transition into helping people do what brought me so much joy. And so now I can live vicariously through them. And and I'm okay with that uh, because I love watching people finish their first marathon if they didn't think they could or get that qualifier or or break their PR. And uh, knowing that I'm part of that gives me a lot of joy.
0: I mean, if I ever go to break three hours, I might have to come to you, but I'm a little bit scared of those tempo runs.
1: You know what? We will get them in. It will not be all at once and we will progress and you will enjoy it. And if not, you will pretend like you do and it'll make a big difference <laughs> in your training and I'm looking forward to it.
0: Uh, all right, Chris. Well, I always wrap up here with some into the podcast questions um, that I did not give you beforehand. So it's always extra fun when people are surprised. What is something professionally or personally you'd like to do that you haven't done yet?
1: Wow. Um, I would... Boy, what would I like to do personally or professionally? You know, I've lived a very fortunate life and I've really been able to do the things that I like to do, but I, I would love to be able to become efficient enough in the guitar that I could play on stage some, you know, rock song, a Guns N' Roses song or a Metallica song and, and play it in front of people and have them think that I actually know what I'm doing. I, I would love to be able to do that someday.
0: I love that. Do you play regularly?
1: Uh, I have started taking lessons, and I am horrible at it, and I wish I would have started when I was a little kid, but it is a lot of fun uh, to try to learn and, and make noise and not sound like a fool. It, it's, it's, it's been a very peaceful transition for uh, my evenings for me to try to be creative and and just progress in something. Just like my athletes are progressing in the marathon, I'm trying to progress learning how to play the guitar.
0: I love that you do that. That's so awesome. It makes me inspired to want to try something new myself. Everybody here plays tennis. And I'm like, do I need to try to learn how to play tennis?
1: <laughs> you got to find your thing.
0: Uh, who is someone fun, motivating, or inspiring you'd like to have coffee, tea, or cocktail with?
1: Wow. You know, with the way that the world is right now, um, I would love to be able to have a conversation with a politician. Um, you know, we see... We see what people think of Trump and Biden, and here in Chicago, Lightfoot, our, our mayor, and some of these other politicians, and it's always through um, these very skewed lenses. Uh, you know, there's a lot of strife in the Ukraine, and you know what's going on with you know North Korea and, and Russia. Um, I, I'd love to be able to stand with somebody uh, like president biden to understand what kind of their mindset is because we only hear it through the lens of their their handlers or mm-hmm. you know the way that they try to put out information and and it just it feels like there's got to be a better way for us as a society to be able to work together and we, we've come at least i i feel like we've we're at this crossroads of uh, a time where people really are unwilling or incapable of listening to each other to try to solve problems. Uh, And to try to get the perspective of some of these people that I don't know and understand how they're trying to maybe solve these problems or come together with their adversaries to try to solve problems would be very interesting to me.
0: You know, I feel like the hardest part with that, it would be like with the asterisk that you know for sure they're not filtering anything because they – you know, don't want to be recorded saying this or that because, you know, they're so buttoned up that everything they say has to be like this certain way so that they're not portrayed this other way. And it's like, I want that too, but I want it with like, it's just me and you and we're best friends and you're telling me everything.
1: Not an interview. Right. Yeah. Not being recorded just to try to understand the perspective, you know, And, and it may change my mind significantly too on what they're dealing with. I mean, I don't understand. I know what I know what the impact of certain decisions are on me and my life and my family. Um and I can certainly in be a, an armchair quarterback and second guess all the decisions that are being made, but you know, I'm not going to pretend like I understand all the intricacies and in how decisions are made and why they are. So it'd be interesting to have some of that insight.
0: Yeah, because I've heard I I love Oprah and uh, you know, I've heard her interview tons of politicians and first ladies and I always walk away thinking, Oh, I really liked them. They seem like such an amazing human, but I also know that they have very much been coached with how they answer questions. So it's like how much of it is like super authentic, you know?
1: And, and people, citizens, uh, and, and, other advocates very much support them. And then they have their adversaries too. So, you know, it's, you're right. They have, it's a very difficult job. I can't imagine being a politician. I wouldn't want to be a politician. Um, you're too nice. But, but <laughs> under, I don't know about that. But trying to understand <laughs> what they go through, which I don't think we understand necessarily, uh, I think would be very interesting.
0: I love that answer. Um, what is the best, most recent book you've read?
1: Oh, well, I'll tell you, after you interviewed Abdi Raham, I started reading Abdi's World, yes. which uh, I got at the Chicago Marathon Expo. He was signing um, copies, and they were giving them out at the uh, Nike Run Club Pacer Station. And, and his says to me, to Coach Worm, thank you for su- your support. And, and I know uh, Abhi, I raced against him in college, and uh, I didn't know him well, but I raced against him in college and raced against him at the Olympic trials and celebrated with him um, a couple of times after some races. And so I'm, I'm reading it now. But most of my, the books that I read uh, usually have to do with, with running and, um, you know, Bowerman and Nike and uh, running with the Buffaloes and the types of things that, that motivate me and that I can then hopefully use to help motivate some of my athletes.
0: Uh, Obdi's book I read in preparation to interview him must have been, yeah, it was just last summer, like a year and a half ago. And I thought it was so cool because I just last week or two weeks ago got to interview Alicia Shea or Alicia Vargo now. And she's someone I've wanted to interview forever. We're putting it out. We just put it out today, actually. But um he talks about her and and Ryan in the book so much. And it gave me like a peek into her life that I never would have known. And so that is one of my most favorite things about this podcast is like seeing how different lives have intertwined. And had I never read his book, I wouldn't have known how much they had intersected. Uh, So yeah, it's just, it's really beautiful. And his his book is, um, I would have never known half of that stuff.
1: And I'm glad you were able to do it because we were talking about that upcoming uh, interview at the Chicago Marathon yes. Expo. So I, it's I'm. thank you for telling me that it is now out so I can listen to it. Oh, yeah, we had it's out talked today. a little bit uh, about Ryan, who um, I knew from his days at Notre Dame and running against him and remember the tragedy at the 2008 Olympic trials in New York. Um, so I'm, I, I'm very excited to listen to that podcast. And I know that you were ready for that.
0: When I interviewed Alicia, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, one of the things that she said was, she just doesn't want him to be forgotten. like she wants she wants him to be talked about, you know. And so I'm curious, did you know him, and what did you know about him?
1: I knew him. Uh, okay, we had raced against each other. He was at Notre Dame. Uh, I was at Michigan State. He was a Michigan guy. so uh, one of the local Michigan running newspapers or running magazines would often have his results and as well as the results from. Uh, For myself and some of the handsome guys. Um, And uh, we had, I had run with him the course in 2004 in Birmingham, the Olympic Trials course, uh, a couple of days beforehand. And so we spent a lot of time just talking about, you know, uh, our upbringing in the Midwest and, you know, talking about whether we thought. Training in the Midwest and racing in the Midwest would help us because it was a cold day. And at Birmingham ended up being cold. You go down to Alabama, you think it's going to be hot. And we thought that maybe um, having trained through the winter in the Midwest would be helpful for us. Um, so I, I knew him on that level. Uh, I, had, I had raced against him a few times. He always beat me. He was a, he was a very good runner, uh, very well respected, very light. Uh, and because he was a Midwest guy, you know, I was always rooting for him. Um, so I'll, I'll take that memory of this pre race run with him, um, to hearts. And we'll always remember the joy I had just kind of hanging out with him that day.
0: Oh, I love that. That's so funny that it was unseasonably cold because my husband ran the t- 2012 Birmingham marathon in February. This was the first time he broke three hours and it was like 20 degrees. It was so cold so cold it was the coldest i've ever spectated a marathon and i've spectated you know indy in november and i've been to um the rehoboth beach marathon in december like up you know a little bit north so i don't know it was it was so cold so maybe that's just like a marathon thing in birmingham and they make it cold uh, with marathon.
1: maybe <laughs> uh, maybe alabama is just colder than we think- no, living in chicago you think down south pretty much anything from like kentucky down uh, i have this perception that it's going to be warmer. certainly Alabama being, you know, touching the Gulf Coast, how can it ever get cold down there? So anything under 40 seems like it's going to be colder than I'd expect. And it was, it must've been in the thirties. I mean, I remember wearing a long sleeve shirt over my singlet, which I would uh, almost never did um, for the Olympic trials and took my long sleeve shirt off, uh, you know, a quarter mile before the finish line, just so that I could have one picture in my racing seat with my number on. Because uh, I definitely wanted that for my collection. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I guess that's uh, just for all of the listeners. Be ready. If you're going to go down to yep. Birmingham for their race, it could very well be cold. Make sure that you're prepared for it.
0: Uh, all right, Chris, what's your last message to leave with the audience today?
1: Uh, my last message is you know, if if you are a runner, just enjoy it while you can. Uh, not because I think it's going to end soon, but I spent so much time in my professional running career wanting more. And it was great because it really motivated me and pushed me. But in retrospect, there's a lot of things that I missed. And as much as I am proud of the accomplishments that I achieved, some of my best memories were tangential to running. It wasn't the race itself, but it was being with family afterwards, or it was, Uh, helping some of my teammates qualify for the Olympic trials. or walking, you know, one of my favorite memories is in 2008 and 2007 for the 2008 Olympic trials. Mm. uh, I had two guys that I trained with in Chicago and I had basically told them, you know, I want to qualify for the Olympic trials, but I can't do it alone. If you train with me, I'll coach you. We will get there. And the Mm. three of us did. And just remember that walk, uh, to the start line the three of us together you know we had trained all summer and all winter and we all qualified and we were there together and walking to the start line and then seeing my family and seeing our friends cheering for us that means more to me now than the times and the finishes and so there's just so much more than to the sport and not to get caught up just on the times and just on the training but to remember the journey also because that's where some of these great memories come from.
0: I love that. That also takes so much pressure off, right? Like knowing that those parts matter just as much. Yes. If not more. Yeah,
1: If not more. Certainly at the time they may matter less, but in the long run, I think they matter more. And um, it's, it's, it's a great sport. It's a great opportunity.
0: I'm so glad that we met and hung out in Chicago before recording this. It's just, I think that, it just worked out the way it was supposed to.
1: Well, it was a lot of fun. Then was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to working with you more at, at more events and certainly some more Chicago marathons and hanging out at the uh, elite athlete press conferences when you feel a bit more <laughs> confident in your uh, ability to sit there and, and have some fun taking some pictures. And uh, uh, I'm glad that we're becoming friends. It's been pretty special to me.
0: Uh, thank you, Coach Worm.
1: Thank you, Lindsay. It was awesome.
0: All right, everybody, thanks so much for being here today. Best of luck if you're running the New York City Marathon in the Monumental Marathon, CIM coming up. I hope this conversation might be helpful for your training and your taper. We have one more post-Chicago episode coming out with Susanna Sullivan, who placed sixth and was the second American across the finish line. She is a busy lady, though. She's a full-time teacher, and we are getting this on our calendar here in the week after next, so it'll be out soon. I hope to see many of you in New York this weekend. Thanks for being here. Um, hey, you can learn more about what Chris is doing on Instagram. He is Coach underscore Warm, W O R M, and also you can learn more about the Run Better app at Run Better app. You can find me on Instagram. I am Lindsay Hines six two six. You can find me on Twitter at Lindsey Hine, and I'd love to connect with you in our Facebook group. I'll have another podcast with Lindsey Hine. Thanks for being here. We've got a regular Friday episode coming out this week with Neely Spence Gracie that I hope you will enjoy. Have a really great rest of your day, and we'll see you Friday.